Now, the Lighthouse family, and for those of you who are watching us online through our YouTube channel, good to have you back again. We are in a study in God's Word in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at verses 6 to 9. We've entitled this series of messages, Following Jesus in a Hostile World. I think there's a lot of confusion regarding how to handle suffering, trial, and challenges in the Christian life. There's a lot of different perspectives out there, and frankly, sometimes we're a little uneducated when it comes to the challenges of life as to how do we process it, how do we work through that. You know, we see in Hebrews 12, verse 6, this passage, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So God's saying, you know, if you're my son, if you're my daughter, guess what? You're going to go through some trial. You're going to go through some challenges. And why? Because it's a sign that you are my child, because uh, because I love you, I'm going to allow you to go through challenges. And it, it's kind of hard to really comprehend that God would allow us to go through trials and through challenges because of his great love for us. Then Hebrews 12:11 says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So what do you say to someone who's suffering or, or going through great challenges in their lives? Because, you know, what you say, in a sense, reveals your theology, uh, what you believe about God and what you know from Scripture. And so often, you know, when I, when I go to challenging situations, whether it's funerals, hospitals, with sickness and death, whatever the, the situation, some of the trite statements I hear from people as to what they would advise people going through that is, it reveals a real, in a sense, a lack of understanding from Scripture as to what, uh, uh, life is all about, what challenges are about, what trials are about, what going through persecution is all about. So Peter moves from his main theme that we've just discussed in the first six verses to remind his readers now that the suffering that they were experiencing, especially to those whom he was writing this letter, that sometimes it's easy to forget that God watches over us in every circumstance. If you got your Bibles, as I said earlier, I'd like you to follow along as I read from verses 6 through to verse 9 in First Peter. We read there these words. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, glory, and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's just bow our heads uh, as we ask God to bless our time in the Word today. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the inerrant, uh, inspired Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, and I pray that today your Holy Spirit would guide all those who are listening to comprehend, to understand the truths of the Word of God. And help us, Lord, not just to be hearers only, but to put into practice the things that we hear. So Lord, help us to grow, help us to understand, and help us to put into practice what we've learned. In Jesus' name, amen. We start out in the first verse. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been, you know, you've been grieved by various trials. This section of Scripture emphasizes the close connection between Christian truth and Christian experience. A firm grasp of truth just shared by Peter can sustain the believer, 
I think through the fiery trials. He's just shared with them all these truths about their salvation, about their inheritance, and how it's kept in God by him. He says, because of the salvation of God that he's given to you through his son, Jesus Christ, this great inheritance, these are truths that you should grab a hold of that should strengthen you, especially in times of testing, because God cares about your situation. But perhaps take away the doctrine and teaching of the Lord, keeping his people, where do you find hope if you don't think God cares for you in that situation? We know that Jesus has said these words in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Our joy is based on the happiness of our future with God and the certainty that we will make it there because our salvation is in God's hands. So no matter what happens to you, I have this confidence that God is watching over me and will see me through the challenges and trials that I will face. Christian joy is almost synonymous with Christian hope. God has reserved and securely protected an eternal inheritance in heaven for every believer. We talked about that last week. And that's why the Apostle Paul urged believers to focus on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth in Colossians 3, verse 2. There was a time when that joy seemed elusive to Christ's disciples as he was spending time on the earth with them. He told them in the upper room as he met with the disciples in John 16, 20, these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He said, you're going to go through some tough times. You're going to sorrow because they're going to think that all is lost, especially when Christ was crucified. The boy on that resurrection day, when they saw that he was risen, the joy that filled their hearts, and he was prophesying, he was telling them that this is going to happen, but you're going to have this hope, you're going to have this joy, because all this trial, all this sorrow will culminate in a joy that's inexpressible. Peter's teaching that Christian does not have to be on the mountaintop to experience that joy. In fact, he teaches in this section, believers, because of their new nature, can experience this quality of joy, even though they're walking through the valley of difficult situations and circumstances in their lives, such as the ones to whom he was writing at this point. He said, you've been grieved by various trials. Matthew's gospel comments on that in verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, God's commands always include his enablement. He was saying, you know what? You're going to face persecution. You're going to face challenge because the world doesn't like the message of the gospel, and they hate the Son of God as well. The question may be asking, perhaps, as you're looking at this passage, is how is it possible to jump for joy when you're experiencing various trials in your life? If you say, well, it's, it's kind of hard, because sometimes when you see the trials and circumstances that are going on in my life, Pastor, it's just hard to really feel joyful. It's, it's hard to have a sense of hope. And Luke gives us the answer, really, in his gospel. Uh, in Luke 1, 47, when he's recording that Jesus' mother, Mary, upon discovering that she was to be the mother of the Messiah, exclaimed, she, he, she says these words, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. That's in verse 47 of chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. It indicated that the origin of happiness and joy 
is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Well, you say, so this joy that's supposed to be my life is an express work of the Spirit of God. That's right. Because in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. What's he saying? The author of Galatians, that being the Apostle Paul, was telling the believers, you know what? The Holy Spirit is the author of all those traits within the believer's life. So if you're walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells you, which we we believe happens at salvation, then these traits, these characteristics ought to be a part of your life. So the Christian joy is to be uh, rather, in a sense, independent of circumstances. And therefore, this baffles the natural man, the person who doesn't know Christ, how can you have a sense of joy when look what's going on around you? Because for most people in this world, their joy is dependent on what's going on around them. But for the believer in Christ, the joy and peace that I experience is based on a relationship that I have with Jesus Christ and that His Holy Spirit indwells me. And from that, I have this sense of joy and peace in my life because of what God is doing for me in and through me. Can you imagine being one of the prisoners in jail? Just as Paul and Silas, who with lacerated backs, began praying and singing hymns of praise to God in Acts 16, verse 25. In that circumstance where anybody else, after preaching the gospel, would have been whipped and beaten, and there they were at midnight singing songs of praise to God because they were counted worthy of suffering for the sake of Christ. That's the example that... You know, Peter's trying to address these believers because they're going through some pretty tough times. I like what, uh, you see, grief also, I need you to understand, is a natural response to the difficulties in this fallen world. But faith looks forward to an eternity with God. So when you're going through tough times, you're going through tough circumstances, you realize, again, you've heard me say this before, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. And so I realize that God is prepared for me a wonderful place in heaven where there'll be joy, there'll be peace, and I'll be blessed with the, the presence of Christ. And so this world, it's going to pass away. But there's a wonderful place that he's preparing for me right now in heaven for those of us who love him and look forward to his coming. Now, Corrie Ten Boom says this. I like the, her quote. She says, The school of life offers some difficult courses. But it's a difficult class that one learns the most, especially when your teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. The hardest lessons for me were in a cell with four walls. The cell in the prison at Schäfening was six paces in length, two paces in breadth, with a door that could be only opened from the outside. After that time in prison, the entire world became my classroom, says Corey Tenboom, who was imprisoned. Uh, as a result of hiding Jews in the Netherlands during World War II. We see in verse 7, why is this testing a challenge? Because he said, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These trials that you go through are those which will, in a sense, prove that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as by fire, test pure gold. Their faith is far more precious than mere gold, 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. That's the New Living Translation that I've just read. So these testings serve as a sense of to prove your faith, whether it's real or not. See, when you're going through the test, when you're going through the trials in your life, it's really the acid test as to the faith in Christ. Is it really real? James 1 verse 3 says this, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, when you're going through the trials, when you're going through the challenges, how steadfast are you in believing that God will see you through? You might be despairing. You might feel a little upset. I, I get that. You might even feel a little anxiety. But in all honesty, you persevere. You remain steadfast in your faith because you believe God has the situation control and he will see me through. See, when God tests us today, he puts us in the furnace. He doesn't do that to destroy us or harm us or, or harm us. He wants pure gold. And so that is the way he will get it, by putting you through tests, by putting us through trials, by putting us through challenges, because when the going is easy, uh, it's easy to follow Jesus. But what develops Christian character is going through the trials. And at the time of testing, the dross is drawn off and precious gold appears. That is how God shapes a man or woman. J. Vernon McGee said this, I like what he says here. He said, we simply come to God as sinners, and he saves us by his grace through the blood of Christ, that he wants to live his life through us. He tries to teach us this through our trials, and through our trials, he is drawing us close to him. You hear that? When you're going through the testing, when you're going through the trials, God's doing that so you draw close to him, because when you're going through that test, my friend, when you're going through the trial, God is the one you want to go to because the only, he's the only one that's going to make, help you make sense of what you're going through, who's going to walk with you through it because a lot of people won't walk with you through your tests and your trials. But God says, I will do that. A truly strong faith clings to the Lord's promises and relies on his faithfulness when loved ones leave, when your health departs, when dark clouds obscure the future, you can trust that God will see you through. You know, 50 million Christians died for their faith during the Middle Ages. Not the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. It's estimated that a million Christians died for their faith when the communists seized China. Unnumbered thousands died as martyrs in the revolutions and civil wars in Africa. We should not be surprised that as believers we will face persecution. We will be tested. Let me read you, recount some of the stories to you. Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna, was a personal friend and pupil of John the Apostle. When he was age 86, he was urged by the Roman proconsul to reproach Christ to be set free. Eighty and six years I have served him and he never did me any injury, said Polycarp. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul said, I respect for your age. Simply say, away with the atheists and be set free. Polycarp solemnly said, Away with the atheism and pointed to the pagan crowd. He joyfully went to the stake, thanking God for counting him worthy to be numbered among the martyrs, and he was burned alive. He refused to bow down to what the proconsul from Rome had wanted him to deny the faith. Another one, John Huss. He's called the courageous pastor of Prague. 
He was arrested, condemned, and sentenced to be burned by church council in 1415. When Hus heard his sentence pronounced, he fell to his knees and prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive my enemies. Then when he was chained to the stake, he prayed, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Then the flames snuffed out the life of the morning star of the Reformation. Examples of men who laid their lives down um, for Christ. I close with another uh, illustration. So during the terrible Boxer Rebellion in China, the insurgents captured a mission station, a Christian mission station, blocked all the gates but one, and before this place, a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that anyone who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but that any refusing would be shot to death. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled across the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act. Kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength, she rose, moved carefully around the cross, and went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to her death. They would not renounce Christ. Warren Worsby goes on to describe this whole idea of testing and challenge. See, when God puts his own people into the furnace, he keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He knows how much we can handle, how much we can go through, and so he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long. It's important that we learn the lesson he wants to teach us and that we bring glory to him alone. So God says, I'm going to let you go through this trial. I'm going to allow this test in your life because it's my refiner's fire perfecting the work that I have begun in you. We have a question, why does he begin with, why doesn't he turn down the heat or why doesn't he turn it off? But sometimes our, I think our questions are ones of disbelief in that or unbelief in that situation. Job 23.10 says this, but he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And Job knew what it meant to be tested. Gold does not fear the fire. The furnace can only make the gold purer and brighter. Trials have an uncanny way of revealing really what's on the inside of your life. Consider some of the behaviors of the passengers on the Titanic, that famous uh, story. As that great ship was sinking and a few lifeboats were being filled, the command on deck was this, children and women first. According to one survivor, most of the men and older boys obeyed the order. However, some men ran back to the ship's staterooms and changed into women's clothing in order to grab uh, a seat on the lifeboat. The crises brought out the worst in these men. What about you and I? When God sends trials our way, do we respond in fear or do we respond in faith? It's obvious that God wants to discover what constitutes our character through trial, through testing. Character is always best ascertained when we're placed under duress. And God will see our weakness and our strength by giving us an exam. It's, God's going to find out how genuine your faith is. So when the going gets tough, when the going gets hard, what's your faith really like? And you say, has God done this in Scripture? Oh, many times. In the book, Handfuls of Purpose, uh, James Smith talks about the trial of faith. He said, what, what's to be tried? What's the challenge with the test? It's your faith. 
Some have no faith, some have little faith, some have great faith. So you say, well, what characters in the Bible were tested? Oh, there's a long list, but let me give you a few. Job, he was tested by prolonged adversity. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost his friends in the process. But God allowed that test in his life. Abraham was tested by a call to sacrifice the only son he had. Was that a test? You bet it was. Joseph was tested by a temptation to sin with Potiphar's wife. Did God allow that? Yes, he did. To test him, to prove him, to see that whether his faith was genuine. Daniel's faith was also tested by evil workers who watched whether he would obey the king's edict not to pray, and Daniel continued to pray in spite of the fact he'd be thrown in the lion's den. Was that a test? You bet it was. So do you think as a result of God brought tests into the pre-people's lives throughout Scripture that you will be exempt from trial and testing? The answer is no. And so he's trying to encourage the believers that he's writing this letter to that this testing that God is allowing their lives is there to strengthen them in their walk with Jesus Christ. And so he moves his focus at the end of the verse to the second coming of Christ and that the testimony of our proved faith will be declared on that day. The faith of the first Christian of the first century Christians were often met in this world by scoffing, derision, and persecution when people say, Look at those Christians and mock them and put them down. But when Jesus returns, the opposite will be true. Our faith will result in glory, honor, and praise when we see Christ. Maybe you heard this song. It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. And that's what he's trying to encourage the believers that he's writing this letter to. The persecution, the trials, the tests, it will be worth it all when you see Christ. Look forward to that. He says in the next verse, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. When you find yourself in trial, and you hurt, immediately lift your heart to Christ and true love and worship. Even when you're going through the toughest times, say, Lord, I thank you that you are with me and nobody can take you away from me. Why do you do that? Because it will take the poison out of your experience and replace it with healing medicine as you rejoice in the fact that I have a relationship with God. He's prepared a place in heaven for me. And again, a reminder that he's got his hand on this. See, Satan often used life's trials to bring out the worst in us. But God wants to bring out the best in us. And that's a quote from Warren Worsby. The Life Application Commentary says this, Christians rejoice despite trials and suffering of faith in someone they've never seen. They stake their lives on promises. Why? Because they know the Lord and they believe in the promises of God. See, we receive salvation when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, yet our salvation is not fully complete until Christ returns and makes everything new again. Remember I talked about the three aspects of salvation? There's justification, where I meet right with God. There's sanctification, whereby He is carrying out His work in my life day by day. And there's glorification, when I see Christ and I will be like Him. 
So in the meantime, we're to continue growing in the Christian life, experiencing more and more of the blessings of salvation as he perfects that which he's begun in your life. See, biblical joy does not just come from circumstances. Joy is connected to the love and trust I have for Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of trial and challenge, my joy should come from a deep sense of the presence of God in my life. Lord, I thank you that I have a relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you sent your only son to die on the cross for me. Father, I have so much to be grateful for. So even in the midst of this trial and this circumstance, help me to be thankful that you have just blessed me beyond comparison with this relationship that can never go south. We can experience joy and suffering that knowing that God has a redemptive plan and purpose in the process. Do you hear that? You're experiencing joy, this sense of not jumping for joy, but this sense of deep joy, Lord. Even in spite of the suffering, in spite of the circumstance, I know you have purpose in this process in my life. Phil Piancy said this as I conclude. God wants us to choose to love him freely, even when that choice involves pain. Because we are committed to him, not to our own good feelings and rewards. God wants us to cleave to him as Job did, when we have every reason to deny him and say, Lord, I don't want to even have anything to do with you because of what you're letting me go through. That's really the central message of the book of Job, who talks about all the suffering and trial that he went through. Uh, Satan had tainted God with the accusation that humans are not truly free. But was Job being simply faithful because God allowed him a prosperous life? Uh, Job's fiery trials proved that, that answer beyond a doubt. He claimed to God's justice, and he was one of the best examples in history of God's apparent injustice. He did not seek the giver, God, because of the great gifts that God gave. Because when all the gifts were removed from his life, he still sought God and said, God, you're the one. And who am I in your face? And God humbled Job through that process. But when Job came out at the very end of his story, going through immeasurable trial and persecution and suffering, God said, in all this, Job did not sin. And God blessed him. And that's what we have to look forward to. Even when going through persecution, even these believers, Peter is writing to them from his letter to them. He wants to encourage them that no matter what trial, God has a purpose and plan in what you're going through. But above all, my friends, that when you meet Jesus, the blessing he'll bestow upon you for being faithful to him is beyond measure. Look forward to the blessing. Look forward to the presence of Jesus recognizing that, again, this world is not my home. Heaven's my eternal reward. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts today. Encourage us, Lord, in our walk, especially, Lord, when going through trial, through persecution, through challenge. Help us recognize that every challenge and trial you allow in our lives, Father, always as it serves your redemptive purposes. So bless us, we pray, and strengthen us in our walk, and help us to grow in our faith and belief that, Lord, you are God of the impossible. And not only that, Lord, there's a reward in heaven for all those who love and serve Christ faithfully. So bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, and I pray you have a great week.